Good morning. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. For those here in person, those online, my name is Kent Hankson. I am the youth and college pastor here at Cross Points, and I um, am thrilled that you are here. I'm glad to have some family uh, here this morning as well from both sides of, of my family, and so I am excited to get into God's Word with you this morning. It wasn't until a couple months ago that it was brought to my attention that ope was a word, O-P-E. It was a word that is used in, in Midwestern culture. I can't even remember reading it. I don't, frankly, remember saying it until one day my wife showed me an article of different words that are said in different regions of America, and to her surprise, I told her, I was like, I don't think I've ever used that word, let, let alone seen it. A few hours went by, and I accidentally bumped into her while walking past her in the kitchen. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bump into you. Come to find out, I have been saying ope, and I've never realized it. It blew my mind that I had been using a word all along without my knowledge because it was so ingrained into the cultural environment around me. When we are surrounded by certain cultural or environment, words, phrases can be so familiar to us that we can use them without really understanding them or really knowing what they mean. And this can happen in church culture as well. We say Christian biblical words without even knowing what they actually mean. I can't tell you how many times I had sang the song Amazing Grace without ever really truly understanding what God's grace was on my life. Or I would say the words, I forgive you, without really knowing what it means to truly forgive somebody. Another example of, of this for me in this Christian biblical culture that we are in this morning is the, the title, Son of God, that we have for Jesus. Growing up, I knew that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, but it wasn't until later in life that I actually understood what it meant. This morning, as we finish up our teaching series on the names of Jesus, we will look at this name, Son of God, this morning. The name of Jesus that we sing, we proclaim as truth, we would say that is essential to our faith, but may not actually understand why He has this name or what it truly means or how to live it out. Hopefully, after this morning with further study, we will truly understand what it means when we claim Jesus as the Son of God and be able to live it out. Now, this is a very important topic to talk about because the name Son of God has brought much debate and has created divisions among different groups of people who, quote-unquote, claim Jesus as their Savior. You have groups such as the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons who would claim they believe in Jesus, but for them, the term Son of God means that the person of Jesus has been created by God and therefore not equal to God. We as evangelical Christians believe that Jesus was not created by God, but rather is God and part of the triune Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So this morning we'll go over some points as it relates to this name so that we can have this correct understanding and how to live it, live it out 
in a biblical way. So, first, how to correctly view the term Son of God with all theological inquiries. Let's start with Scripture, the source of truth. So, if you have your Bibles, please meet me with, please meet me in Luke 1. Please meet with me in Luke 1, verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. I'll begin reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with the man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done according to your word. And the angel left her. Now, the key verse in this passage that we just read was, is verse 35. Just to reread it again, verse 35 says, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When we examine this verse a little bit further, we see that a, a futuristic tone is used. So when the baby is born, then he'll be known as called the Son of God. But before the birth of Jesus, the term Son of God has not yet been attributed to Jesus. This name is given because Mary conceives due to the Holy Spirit, not by any earthly man. Now, while talking about the earthly birth of Jesus, we must remember that He existed with God the Father from eternity past. And we see this in John 1 verses 1 and 3. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to flip a little bit around in Scripture. So John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now we know John is referring to the Word um, as Jesus Christ, because in verse 14, if you jump down to a few more verses later, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, going back to our original passage in, in Luke 1, we see Jesus, a person of the Trinity, fully God, left heaven and entered the womb of Mary via the Holy Spirit and became human in a mysterious way that we mere humans 
cannot comprehend. The term that is used to describe this miraculous event is the word incarnation. Now, this morning we're going to learn a couple of theological vocabulary words, and incarnation is the first one. So, if you're taking notes, here is definition to write down. So, when we say incarnation, let's, let's say it so we know incarnation, incarnation. Incarnation is a term used by theologians to indicate that Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. Incarnation is a term used by theologians to indicate that Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. Now, there's another theological term that is closely related to incarnation, but focuses on another aspect of the birth of Jesus. The incarnation focuses on the truth that Jesus, being God, took on human flesh. The other theological term describes how Jesus, fully God, became fully human, but yet remained fully God at the same time. And that term is the hypostatic union. This is our second bill cap. So, say hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. What this means is Jesus Christ is one person, fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ is one person, fully God and fully man. Got Questions has this to say about the hypostatic union. And quick plug, if you have no idea what Got Questions is, it is a great resource that I would love to tell you about, that if you have any questions about theology or questions about the Bible, it um, is a great biblical-based resource for you to use. They have a great app on your phone. Parents, this is a great resource to use. If you have kids and they ask a really deep question and you're like, I'm less speechless. I have no idea how to answer this. Go to this resource. It will help you answer questions in a biblical-based way. So, plug over. Back to the hypostatic union. Got Questions says this about the hypostatic union. The doctrine of the hypostatic union is an attempt to explain Jesus could be both God and man at the same time. It is ultimately, though, a doctrine we are incapable of fully understanding. It is impossible for us to fully understand how God works. We, as human beings with finite minds, should not expect to totally comprehend an infinite God. Jesus is God's Son in that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but that does, that does not mean that Jesus did not exist before He was conceived. Jesus has always existed, and when Jesus was conceived, He became a human being in addition to being God. So, basically what we've talked about, what we've already seen in Scripture, this truth that Jesus, fully God, has existed from eternity past, decided to take on humanity at the birth well, at the conception and then at the birth. So we have fully God, fully man, one person. So we've covered some vocabulary words, the incarnation and the hypostatic union, which both terms help us understand when we talk about Jesus as the Son of God. Since we know now, since we now know what it means, let's talk about it for a little bit of how it can apply to our daily lives and our relationship with God. So, second point today's sermon, how understanding Jesus as the Son of God can change our lives. How understanding Jesus as the Son of God can change our lives. First, understanding Jesus as the Son of God means that we worship a God that can sympathize with us in our struggles. With Jesus being fully God and fully human 
means that he lived a life of going through things that we also go through. The difference is, is that we sin in our daily lives, but Jesus never did. Even though this is true, it still means that Jesus understands the temptation and the trials that we face in life. He just faced them without sinning. And we see this explained further in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles with you again, please, let's flip to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It says this. Now since the children have flesh and, com- and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Now this truth is such a comforting truth to know. That we have a God that can relate with us in our struggles. We have a Savior that looks at you brother in Christ, and says, I can relate when you're tempted to serve self. He can turn to you, sister in Christ, and say, I can relate with your trial in life. To those battling for desire, or battling with desire for power and fame, Jesus says this, I know the temptation to put yourself above others. Satan tried to tempt me with offering me the whole world. To those who work or live in an environment that is divisive or has differing opinions, Jesus says, I can relate. I spent years with a group of 12 people who had differing opinions the entire time. To those living paycheck to paycheck, Jesus says, I can relate with living off very little. I, too, have lived a life that wasn't financially easy. To those who have lost a loved one, Jesus comes Jesus says, come to me, child, for I too have wept over a loss of a friend. To those who have experienced betrayal, Jesus says, I too know what it feels like to have a friend go behind your back and hand you over to humiliation. To those battling gluttony or an unhealthy dependency on food, Jesus says, I too was tempted by Satan to live by bread alone. To those whose families are divided, Jesus says, my own brothers didn't even believe in me for years. To those who are struggling with a tough, difficult situation in life, Jesus says, child, come close. I, too, faced challenges as I sweat drops of blood. To those who are experiencing physical pain, Jesus says, I know what it feels like to have your body to be wounded. To those who are dealing with rejection, Jesus says, I, too, know what rejection feels like. People have been rejecting me for thousands of years. Now, I could continue to give examples of what Jesus experienced in the Bible. 
and how it could possibly relate to your life and mine. And I don't know your current individual circumstance in life, but I do know this. You have a God. You have a Savior. You have a friend in Jesus who wants you to come to Him with your problems. And He wants you to cry out. He will meet you there with sympathy, mercy, and grace. If we continue in Hebrews 4, a couple chapters later, in our, after our passage in Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This comforting truth can change our lives. So when we face various trials and temptations in life, we are never alone, loved ones. We never have to walk through this life on our own strength. So in your temptation, in your trial, cry out to your Savior who sympathizes with you. Now, maybe you are here and you don't know what a relationship like this with God is like. If that's the case, then the truth that Jesus is the Son of God can change your life as well. Jesus coming down to earth to take on human flesh was ultimately for the purpose of being the perfect sacrifice that could take the sins away of people. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this. So if you flip to Galatians, this promises the last passage we'll flip to. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this. When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we, may, we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. I want you to understand, Jesus came to live a life without sin, that you can be saved from your sins. And this can only take place when we believe and trust in Jesus as our Savior, repenting for our sins and asking God to forgive us. Today, today is a great opportunity for you to start that relationship with God today. The day after celebrating Christmas, the day that we celebrate the birth of our Savior. There's this song by a, a 90s Christian band called Reliant K. Some of you might have heard of them. The song is called I Celebrate the Day, and in the last line of the song it reads this, and I think it ties in well to our context where we're talking about in the fact that Christmas was just yesterday. The last verse says this, I celebrate the day that you were born to die so that one day I could pray for you to save my life. 
Now, when this moment of salvation takes place in your life, I want to let you know you are changed forever. You were once a sinner, and now you are considered a saint. You were a slave, and now you are a child of God, an heir with Christ. You were once lost, but now you are found. You were once an enemy to God, but now you are called a friend of God. And I pray that today would be the day of your salvation if you have not started a relationship with God yet. In conclusion, we have this beautiful truth of Jesus that He is, in fact, the Son of God. And I hope that when you see this name of Jesus that you can understand what it means And I pray that you would let the truth of Jesus being the Son of God change your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for becoming human. Jesus, thank you for taking on human flesh to live a life sinless, to be sacrificed, to die on the cross for our sins. God, right now I just want to pray for those who are maybe hurting this Christmas season or facing different various trials and temptations. God, I pray that we would cry out to you, that we would see you as a Savior who cares, who loves us, who sympathizes with us in our moments of temptations and trials. God, I pray that we will run to you in those moments. God, we thank you that you are able to be there with us, that we are never alone in our experiences in life. God, I pray for those this morning who don't have a right relationship with you, who, who don't know what it means to have a Savior who can, who can talk with them, who can sympathize with them. God, I pray that this morning that those here who are listening would fall before you, who would cry out to you and ask for forgiveness and repent from their sinful lifestyle and see you as their Savior. And I pray that we will all draw close to you. God, hold us fast. Hold us close to you today. We love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. To close out this morning's service, I just want to reread Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 again. I am in the wrong book. There we go. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I pray that as we go out from here this morning, that we would approach the throne of grace this week in whatever trial, whatever temptation you may have. 
I just want to let you know this is not something that you have to somehow be good enough to approach God's throne. This is not something that you have to wait for the right circumstance or the right time or the right place to approach the throne. You can approach God's throne of grace right now at any given moment when you simply pray. I just want to encourage you with that this morning before you leave. Meet someone new. Pray for somebody. If they share a need, pray for them before you leave today. God bless.